and discussion to truth coming at you Wednesday. This is five o'clock hour, the normal hour slot here. We've got Rebecca Roth hanging uh, on the line here. We'll bring her on shortly. We just finished with Anthony Mueller, a professor of economics at UFS in Brazil. Um, and a very interesting take, folks, on uh, what is uh, happening economically um, with this COVID-19 issue. And, you know, frankly, is, is, is this a coincidence? Is this a natural occurring event? Or, or is this somehow, was this somehow orchestrated? Was it manipulated? You've got, you've got plenty of people on both sides saying that, uh, yes, this is a natural phenomenon, yet no, this is engineered uh, biologically in a laboratory. Um, frankly, I side with the notion that it has been manipulated. Uh, I, 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 I tend to look at various things, and, and you go back to the Nixon shock in 1971. Why did he alleviate the gold standard? Why did he alleviate the, alleviate the gold standard? I mean, seriously. Uh, and you've got former JFK advisor, uh, soon after that, uh, Dr. Peter Beter saying, uh, hey, uh, there's no there's no gold. The gold's been removed from Fort Knox. There's no gold. The, the Nelson Rockefeller, Rockefeller's, Rockefeller brothers sold the gold to the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, in Basel, Switzerland. Uh, you know why? Why is Switzerland always neutral in wars? Uh, why is it that their army guards the Vatican? Uh, you know, I mean, so some of these things historically, generationally, haven't changed over time, and Americans need to ask, well, why is the Federal Reserve Bank? Never audited, Ron Paul, right? Is it true that these accusations, there's no gold in Fort Knox? Okay. Um, digital currency. Currency. Nothing against it. It makes life easy. But if there's no intrinsic value supporting that currency, then there's debt. And the United States has a $26 trillion debt. So, so, so many of these questions need to be answered, and Americans need to stand up up and ask these questions while you still have an opportunity just like dr miller just said on the program just a few moments ago mary while you still and this is globally you know you're not living in china germany you're not living in uh you're not living in uh china england you know i mean americans this isn't china you, you embrace socialism okay embrace socialism I don't think you're gonna. I don't think you're gonna like the uh, the outcome of that. So why not just move to another country like Venezuela or Cuba that has already embraced socialism? Oh, yeah, just a consideration, just an idea, just, just a suggestion. Okay. Um, but those of you that enjoy the democratic practices of governance, uh, I implore you to speak up, just like Dr. Mueller said speak up while you can protest while you can assemble while you can peaceably okay don't tolerate violence uh, rebecca roth is an author and a 30 year 30 plus year airline uh career uh and uh, and she's uh, got some interesting things to say about uh, 9 11 we're gonna bring her on right now you can find me here every wednesday um, and a couple things I'm working on. Yes, pre-order, No More Lies, Freedom Reserve, No More Lies, publication, Trying Day, coming your way. Um, pre-order it right now on Barnes & Noble. 
pre-order on Amazon. Uh, there's a few things that are in, being developed in that, and um, just throwing out a little piece, uh, Dr. Dr. Judy Mikovits. Uh, if you're not familiar with her work, do familiarize yourself with her work. She has collaborated with John F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, excuse me, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Pardon me, uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, recently in regards to speaking out against her research in regards to this COVID-19 pandemic um, and um, working on some things with her. So so some great things uh, down the pipe for, for this program. Um, and uh, again, I started this going on four years now and, uh, and, and, and I encourage you to uh, contribute what you have to programs like me to contribute to my program. Uh, this is uh, really the platform that um, in 2020 people are receiving their education. Uh, turn off the, your ridiculous mass media outlets. Because they're simply just brainwashing you, folks, if you haven't figured that out yet. And likely you have if you're listening to this. Okay, so um, we ended with Dr. Mueller and uh, bringing on Rebecca Roth here uh, right now. This is Ian Trache for Discuss Your Truth. Uh, follow me on Twitter. You can follow me on Instagram. Uh, both handles I N T R O T T I E R. And, and, and again, find. Hello. Hi, Rebecca. Uh, uh, pardon the confusion. This is Ian Trache. Welcome to Discuss Your Truth. Pardon the confusion about the hour. Um, uh, thanks for joining the program. Uh, how are you? I'm great. Thanks. Fantastic. Um, so, Rebecca, for listeners, uh, you are a 30-plus-year airline um, uh, career, you got a career in, in the airline industry, 30-plus years, um, and your your book is one of, of, of great interest. Um, of course, it's been, been 20 years since 9-11, but coming from someone who has some experience in the industry, you've written, uh, which I haven't read, but you've written a, a compelling book, uh, a Methodical Illusion is the title of it. For listeners, would you would you would you please introduce yourself, and and, and then I'd like to get in uh, get into to, to what you've uh, what you've discovered in your in your writings. All right. Uh, well, first off, uh, I can tell you that I've written four books, and I'm soon to have the fifth one in a series. Done. So fantastic. You're a little behind. Okay. Um, and I'm happy to send you a set of them if you take time to read. Sure. Uh, what um, is kind of interesting, uh, I, I thought I did fly for 30 plus years. Um, I was an international purser and a flight attendant, so kind of du dual qualified. Uh, I stopped flying about uh, three or four years after 9-11. And about... 2009 or 10, somewhere in there, I thought it might be kind of fun to write a book. I, I didn't. I was uh, studied hard science in school, so <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't ever thinking I was going to be a Pulitzer Prize winner or anything. Um, but I thought it'd be kind of fun to write uh, the human side of flight attendants and what people think of us. And uh, over all the years, I've experienced people like, "Oh, do you eat?" You know, <laughs> yeah. Well, on a 16-hour flight to Asia, yeah, we got to eat. <laughs> Sure. Use the bathroom too, right? <laughs> so I, I wanted to add kind of like that humanness, and sometimes people have to uh, take a flight uh, just because your schedule or whatever, and you're you know in the middle of a divorce or in a custody battle, or your parents just died, or your dog just passed away, something. Yeah. And so people, you know, they don't think about that humanness of it. So what I uh, started out 
to write a book. And actually, if anybody pays attention, <laughs> the first few chapters of the of Methodical Illusion are actually my original book. And then I uh, I got to look, and I just wanted to pull a a Middle Eastern name, and I thought, oh, I'll just I'll just look all <laughs> oh, the name of all those uh, hijackers on 9/11. Right. And I discovered that a bunch of them, seven to ten, I mean, there's a varying numbers there, uh, were still alive. And I, I had never heard that before. And it's interesting, too, because in the airline, and this is every airline, because now after this, uh, I connected with lots of different employees from lots of different companies. But every airline handled 9-11 the same. Okay. We basically weren't allowed to ask uh, any questions about it in our yearly training. And every year the FAA qualifies us. We have to go through uh, so many hours of yearly training. And so we brush up on hijack procedures and first aid. And, you know, when we get the defibrillators, we have to learn how to use that and brush up on that every year. And so it's a, you know, one or two day event usually. So during that training, that yearly recurrent training, uh, nobody was allowed to really ask. And if you did, oh, you got met with, uh, uh, you know, the instructors uh. like, uh, we won't talk about that. And so which I thought was really interesting. So when I found out these guys were still alive, I just started looking. Uh, actually, I've just put my old flight attendant shoes on. Right. <laughs> and I started looking, and I was able then to pull uh, FBI data. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm a, more of a science person. So yeah. I started pulling Freedom of Information Act data. Um after, by the time I was really looking at this, the 20th hijacker, Zachariah Massawi, had gone to trial. There was lots of stuff from the FBI and from the U.S. government. And I, uh, so I started down, how can these guys still be alive after what we were shown on television? Right. So in around uh, 2012 or so, I, yeah, I just sat down and wrote about a 300-page novel. And I thought I'd figured out what, what I was seeing. And then one day I connected on social media with a guy who had been a New York firefighter and spent about a month on the pile. Wow. And I'd come, I'd come from a long family of firefighters and I'd done some first responding and stuff in my career. So I, uh, I asked him some specific questions about what was on the pile and about all the firefighters or 340 some firefighters that lost their lives and first responders, police officers and the like. And it was about a two-hour conversation with him. And I got off that, and I thought, now I have this book written. I'm going to get it printed and published. And so uh, I did. I, uh, I hadn't ever edited through. I just said, when you write, it's just rough. You, you can actually see the movie in your, in your mind as you're writing, but it's pretty rough, right? And that's what editors are paid for. But this first book that I wrote, I, I self-edited. I edited several times but you still you have, yeah leave mistakes every book has them right so i i was really inspired from this firefighter and what he saw and what uh he experienced and how it affected the uh, new york fire department so i dedicated my first book to uh to them and uh wh what happened this is crazy it came out november of 2014 so it's been like almost six years ago. And in the spring of 2015, just a few months later, I got called to do an interview with Coast to Coast AM with George Nori. And Coast to Coast AM has a really huge audience, apparently. 
Yeah. Now I listened to it because I was always suffering from jet lag, right? So I was familiar with the, you know, the people that listen all night because if I couldn't sleep, I'd turn on yeah. the radio. And uh, what happened then, that was a life changer, I tell you. Um, my book, that first book went into the top 10 on Amazon in Amazon wow. Books. And literally, I had no idea that people were really wanting to know what did someone in the airline think about this. And what happened was it brought several people in contact with me. So I had a website for the books and stuff, and that for that first book and stuff. So they were able to uh, contact me. Um, the second I've got uh, something I need to turn off here. That was me that made that little bump. Sorry. And so I started to hear from uh, people like other airline pilots and flight attendants, air traffic controllers, uh, people that had seen things that didn't work with the, what they were told on television, uh, retired first responders, military intelligence guys that were inside the Pentagon that day, um, retired FBI agents and DEA agents and people that knew other things that weren't even part of that day that we knew of. And uh, I even was contacted by people from the Middle East, including Israel, and um, a guy that was a military liaison for Area 51. Wow. Now, this was such an interesting, <laughs> no kidding. I'm telling you, I saw, I, the, and this was actually from, I think that really huge audience from coast to coast AM, and it went out there and it just was like, oh, wow, this is uh, somebody who was in the industry and I can talk to them. And I don't know, maybe I became the repository, I guess, for uh, people. And maybe because I was a flight attendant, they thought I was safe. Okay, I got to tell you my story. And so I just got all these stories, and I just continued to write the books. And I just took the same characters and just kept writing. So I think I'd, I wrote, like, the first three books in maybe a year, year and a half or so. Yeah. Uh, I got a, just a ton of information, and it's still coming in to me. This is that's crazy. I chose to write uh, everything in novel format. In um, looking back now, hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? <laughs> uh, just so I wouldn't be killed, uh, mm. because what I did find was a, a very different story. And I can tell you this: that the truth of what happened on nine eleven is much more horrific than what you were told happened. And much more horrific. As a matter of fact, there were a couple times when I uncovered things that because I was in the airline for so long, uh, because my relationship with the FAA is kind of like our, you know, God, um, yeah. everything that, that justifies what we can and cannot do and what you can and cannot do as a passenger is an FAR or by the FAA and you know, it's a federal aviation regulation. It's really, con I mean, they're the cops for us, right? But so I always had a lot of respect for the FAA and the National Transportation Safety Board. They're the people that come uh, and if there's a crash of any kind, they normally, not on 9-11, but normally every other crash, they would show up first, and they're called. And I've actually flown several of them uh, coast to coast uh, to go to a crash site, and they do the investigations usually. The FBI usually is not involved in a crash of an airplane, usually. But 9-11 was very different. And now if you've been paying attention to what's been going on with President Trump for the last three and a half years, I think everybody's starting to see that the FBI is a little bit different program than what we thought as kids. I'll just put it that way. Mm. So 
it, there's a there's you know there's a lot of stuff that kind of is not what we thought, and so things are not always as they seem as you get into this. So I just uh, I, I started to write these stories, and then as people were bringing me stuff and sharing their stories and their experience, and even just recently, I have a a membership website where my fans can come in and I do a daily show and um, it's called behind the galley curtain. It's a dot com. And um, I've got, I just recently, this is crazy. I've just recently found a video that someone took from a building right next to the South tower. Oh, wow. And uh, they saw the explosion, but one thing they didn't see and they were close. Oh boy. Uh, is a 767. Oh boy. And so I put that in my website, um, just for my, you know, my fans, my readers, my, uh, people that are interested. And the reason I did that is I had, um, I had a YouTube channel and I, you know, talk about some of this stuff and I, I did a, uh, screenshot of the freedom of information act data that I have about a terabyte worth of stuff. And some of it's radar and text, some of it's MP3 files. And I found the MP3 audio file of the, uh, it was actually labeled by the FAA as terrorist. We didn't ever use that word prior to 9-11 in aviation. We would use hijacking, hijacker. But it was the interesting thing about this is that it was labeled as a terrorist. It was copyrighted by the FAA, and it was uploaded into the FAA headquarters in Washington, D.C.'s computers an hour and a half before Flight 11 took off. Oh, come on. And I'm not kidding you. When I showed that, um, (laughs) I have this video somewhere. I've got to still upload it for the members because they're all chomping at the bit for it. When I showed that on my YouTube channel, my entire two and a half years of in, uh, videos and uh, audios and everything I had about 9-11 and about what I'd uncovered uh, disappeared from YouTube. Right. Totally nuked. And then I had this, um, my membership site, I just opened it, and I received about three state-sponsored, according to the people that host the site, DDoS attacks on that site. There probably at that time weren't 150 people there because it was I first I first opened it, and so then I realized when the people that host my uh, membership website contacted me and said, uh, "What's going on?" I mean, it's like we see this is like this is a state-sponsored attack. Somebody hates you, and it's like okay, well then means uh, you know I kind of just steered away from YouTube at that point, right? And I realized that. Uh, and I don't get too involved with social media. I have uh, Facebook accounts and stuff, but I just don't go there anymore because I need to get this last book or two out. Um, because even though my books are written as novels, so hopefully I can keep alive, um, everything everything that's about 9-11 is real. It's just presented through fictitious characters. Oh, wow. And so... That's what that's how things have been going for the last six years. Anyways, I wrote this book. It sat on the shelf. Uh, I actually printed it out and put a big metal clip on it. And after talking to this first responder, I just was uh, in, I was in, uh, encouraged 
uh, I, he touched my heart. I was just, uh, I thought on behalf of all the first responders, I've just got to get this story out. I thought at that time I'd figured a lot out. <laughs> I had, I didn't even have the tip of the iceberg. It was, there just was so much more. And it's, it, it truly is, it's mind blowing. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. I mean, it is mind blowing what really is there. And once you, and one of the things I experienced, um, Ann, is that uh, in reading through, there was a lot of disinformation and there's a lot of um, people that went out and put little bits of truth and then they covered up with crazy nonsense. There's a lot of people, I mean, I was attacked for everything, even including my hair. <laughs> It's like, okay, listen, I'm not right. here. This is not a beauty, beauty uh, contest here. Yep. I'm just here. I just am telling you what I found. But one of the things I found is a lot of people couldn't leave their own personal uh, politics out of the research. And now you'll remember the Clintons were in the White House for eight years, and then Bush came in, and in nine months, this happened. Right, right, so, right. People can't, uh, they, they really, I, I just found this in, in all the research I did, and I did a lot of reading of nonsense, and, and uh, then I got a hold of a lot of, uh, a terabyte of information, just a lot. I could probably spend the rest of my life reading through this. Uh, but all of the, a lot of it's like a needle in a haystack stuff. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing uh, <laughs> what I uncovered. And I, for me, like I said, I was so blown away by, I was just, no, I'll, I'll give you an example yep. of that. Um, one of the things that I found, and again, like I learned a lot of this from going through this whole thing with the current president, right? And we are actually on uh, going through a coup right now, still today, till this very day. It's well said. And um, so what I, what I've learned in doing this, is that um, intelligence operate, operations are uh, basically a, a recipe, and they keep using the same recipe. Why? Because it works. That's how I recognize this ongoing coup right now. Because these are the same coups, and this is in my fourth book, the same type of coups we did in Iran and Guatemala and Chile and, and that sort of thing. That's just been upgraded to uh, using technology, artificial intelligence, and the like. Uh, social media. Uh, there's a lot of ways now. We used to hey, when I grew up, there was like three or four TV channels. Yeah. They were uh, a part of Operation Mockingbird also. Yeah. But now it's much more complicated. So just so you know, then you guys, if your listeners want to, you can just Google search uh, Operation Mockingbird. And so you understand what I'm talking about. It's uh, still active. They haven't stopped it. And it's just kind of taken over social media as well. So there was a, uh, an interesting thing that, uh, like Operation Northwoods was basically what 9-11 was to be. Operation Northwoods was coming out of the Pentagon and uh, the intelligence world presented to John F. Kennedy. And uh, they were going to basically hijack, fake hijack, well, these are keywords now, fake hijack, um, commercial airplanes and uh, fake uh, cutting, uh, shooting them down. Uh, take the fake passengers and send them off. And then they were going to do some terrorist attacks, blaming it on, and this is a lot of this was going to go on in Miami uh, and all of Florida, actually. And so you can look this up, too. It's all out there now. It was declassified the spring of 2001. None of us probably <laughs> put two and two together then. 
when they started. Well, some of, maybe some people did, but um, not many. Many of us knew about Operation Northwoods. Right. But you guys can go read the documents. They're all out there now. So when I see all this stuff, you know, it's like, okay, this is the same pattern. Well, with Betty Ong, and we know this now because of uh, Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, and all the Mueller thing, right? That there's 302s are actually the FBI's interview notes, uh, and there should be one set. Well, I found three different sets for the flight attendant from Flight 11, Betty Ong. And what I found, and I started looking, uh, comparing them. And what I found was, and some of them, and some of them were just complete, this is from a four and a half minute tape recorded call, so shouldn't change, but it did. She said some of the interesting things on the various different uh, 302s that the FBI produced, three different stories of a taped four and a half minute phone call. She said, he sprayed pepper spray or mace in business class, and we can't breathe up there. She said she was sitting at the jump seat at three right, which is the most aft jump seat, way back by the bathrooms in the galley, a double aisle airplane 767. That's about 150, 160 feet from the cockpit. And when she said that, I read that, and I was like, well, that's, that's kind of interesting, because if somebody sprayed pepper spray or mace in a pressurized cabin, she would have felt it back at door three. And so would the hijacker. And so would all of the passengers. And so we just saw this happen a year or two ago on a flight from, I believe, Oakland, California to Hawaii. Somebody sprayed uh, some sort of mace or pepper spray. It kind of released in their carry-on luggage in the overhead bin. I think how it happened. Okay. And most of the crew and a lot of the passengers ended up going to the hospital. That would be the effect if somebody sprayed pepper spray or mace in a pressurized cabin. Well, then she said some other things that made me, it's just not, not in all of her 302s, and some of them. She said, we're the first, and they were the first airplane, the be hijacked, supposedly. And then she said, he stood upstairs, and there are no huh. stairs in that aircraft. There's only stairs in the 747. And But I do know one thing, because I've been in a lot of hangars for large airplanes, right? Because that was my job. Uh, in the upstairs, of there's hangars are really a big box, and they don't waste all the space. Uh, they use, utilize them for offices. And there's usually in two of the four corners of a large hangar, there's metal, oftentimes metal, sometimes there's cement, but it depends on the hangar, uh, stairs going upstairs to offices. And I thought, well, that's weird, because... She's telling me right here, they're not pressurized. And then there was all this mix-up about her using huh. a cell phone or an air phone. But I'm here to tell you this. Air phones were for passengers. They didn't reach the jump seat. We're there for one purpose. That's basically to <laughs> get you out of the airplane. That's why the jump seats are at the door, right? So I started to see all these weird things, and I thought, well, and I, honest to God, it took me a long time before I realized that there shouldn't be more than one 302 by the FBI. So what told me was that they were not pressurized, which means they, they weren't in the air. Right. Or, or she wouldn't have been able to talk. She was on the phone for nearly a half an hour. Now, here's another thing. At the time, now things have changed now, but I can tell you this. Uh, at the time... 
uh, our, the FAA hijack protocols were if you were not the flight attendant directly dealing with the hijacker, you were to sit down and not draw attention to yourself, which means take a passenger seat, not a jump seat. Cover up your uniform with a blanket or someone's coat, your coat, whatever. But take your wings and name tags off and look like a passenger and preferably look like a passenger asleep unless you were the one flight attendant dealing with the hijacker. And what did she do? She sat at the jump seat in her uniform on a phone for a half an hour. Now, when I first found that, I thought, well, is she trying to tell me that? Because I can see there's big flaws in the story. She's not following FAA protocols for hijacking. She's sitting in her jump seat. She's talking on, obviously, a cell phone because the earphones didn't reach to her jump seat. If she was talking on a cell phone, she had to be on the ground. So that's when I started to really realize what really had happened. And it's a very different story than what we were shown on television and what we've been told over and over ever since. And when somebody really grasped the whole uh, Operation Mockingbird and what that is and who controls it. Right then you can really start to see through this. One of the things I found is a lot of people left, kept their own personal hatred for Democrats or Republicans. Mm -hmm. A lot of people wanted to blame Trump or um, Bush, Bush yeah. or Cheney uh, or you know Rumsfeld or all three. And they, a lot of people wanted to blame everything on Republicans. And, and what I found as a, I became a pretty good researcher after this. Once I realized what really was going on is that it's unfortunate. Some people and some people have done some pretty good work, but they can't let go of their own personal politics. I've always been kind of independent. I've probably voted for both uh, sides Yeah, yeah. Uh, myself. That's just my personal thing. And it's really too bad that uh, it made me see, though, that a lot of people, they're talking out of their political hat. Yeah. And uh, you really see it now. I mean, every day we see it now. I mean, we see what they're doing to President Trump with making accusations about everything. Right. But that's, this is they are tr truly and I could say this because I really got into a, a very deep dive on um, the Central Intelligence Agency and how they work with the Israeli Mossad, how they work with the Pakistani ISI, how they work with MI6. Um, and how they're all connected. And really, and partly because a lot of people from the intelligence world uh, have contacted me and, and really set me up with exactly how things happen. And then once you realize that it's a multinational program, now you can even see it in today's world. It's, we're not the, I mean, the globalists, the, the military industrial complex, I don't know if you're old enough to remember John F. Kennedy, but um, I am. And the military-industrial complex is really a global military-industrial complex. And the globalism is the, of the, what they call the New World Order. Jo old man George, Papa George told us that, Poppy. Poppy Bush told us about the New World Order. And it sounded so nice when he said it. But when you realize what it is, it's basically global communism and total control. And that right there is why they hate uh, Donald Trump. So, wow, you've, 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 you're loaded there. Um, and let's, <laughs> let me, let me, let me, uh, the, you know, the, the three things that obviously 
stick out here uh, are the first off, I want to ask you. You mentioned Pulitzer Prize. Have you won a Pulitzer Prize for your work? Um, if you have, I haven't. Didn't know you did. Uh, second, no I, said, no, I said I never thought I would, but oh, okay, and I didn't know. And haven't or yet. Um, <laughs> second, um, please expand on the fireman that was on top of the heap for uh, I think you said thirty days, and then thirdly, uh, Betty Ong. Uh, have you been in contact with this person, or, this, or, or, or is this a fictitious FBI character? Uh, was was that entire dialogue in that 302, those three different reports or uh, 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 distributions of, of what had happened on that particular flight? Is it, what I'm taking from that is that this was this was set up and, and done likely in a hangar and in, in a craft that never left ground. Does that also coincide with the video that's on your uh, your private uh, accessible to your private subscribers uh, the video that suggests and shows that no plane actually hit the South Tower um, and it, there, you know there's various there's various kind of theoretical or explanations rather that go against the 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 the, the main uh, 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 the, the main explanation that's given given by the, if you will, the, the government um, that those planes are hit by towers. But then are you saying that through your research it's suggested that that uh, that no plane hit the tower and that and that and that this dialect that you're you're drawing from out of those 302, uh, 302 reports, that that was done inside a, 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 a hangar in a craft in a hangar that never left. Uh, air, uh, it never left the ground. Okay, well, let me let me talk about first the 302s. And what the 302s are is the FBI's interpretation or their notes of an incident, of an interview. If I interview you and I'm the FBI, write a 302. It's a report. You've Got it. heard about them with what's going on. Peter Strzok and all those guys, right? So... The 302s that I found uh, were different in the fact that they left out certain things, like uh, he stood upstairs, we're the first, we're up in the air. A flight attendant wouldn't tell anybody they're up in the air if they say hijacking. But she actually didn't know what was going on. She even said, I don't know. We might be being hijacked. And let me tell you, when we're at work in the uniform, we're in, we're in command in the aisle. Nobody else is. And if there's a hijacker or somebody making demands and yeah. somebody roughing up, past, you know it. And so that was another thing that was odd about her. So this is what the FBI claims she said. So there's three versions because the FBI is not telling you the truth. And so they maybe they realize that, oh, well, we better take this out because how would she know they were the first unless somebody told her what to say or what have you? Um, she's a real person. The flights all took off from the uh, airports from Boston, Logan. I actually flew out of Boston. Um, the planes took off from Washington's Dulles and Newark's Liberty Airport. They did take off. They were all four daily scheduled flights. They all four did take off. Are you ready? Do you sit down with your seatbelt on? Well, I don't have a seatbelt, but I am sitting. <laughs> All right. I'm about to tell you uh, <laughs> what you need to know. And this is it. And this is when I discovered this as a airline professional. 
this is when it really turned my stomach over. And I literally had to walk away from this, uh, looking into this for about a week. I kept going back and saying, I've got to prove myself wrong. Okay, here's the deal. There's a few things that Betty said, one that didn't make any sense from a flight attendant viewpoint. She'd been flying maybe a dozen years or so. She'd been through lots of recurrent training. So she knew what to do and what not to do. And she didn't follow any hijack protocols, okay? No matter what you read, she should never have been sitting in her jump seat. But the things that she did say, and even if some of it's in some of the uh, 302s and some of they decided to take out, maybe this is why. But her first phone call came about 18 minutes after takeoff from Boston, okay? So, so what I did was I said, well, she, if they sprayed pepper spray or mace, she wouldn't be breathing. She'd be sick. And she wouldn't, she didn't ever complain about her eyes watering or anything. So I knew they weren't pressurized. So that means they were on the ground. So what I did is I went on Google Maps and having flown a lot of transcontinental flights out of Boston myself, I said, well, this airplane needs a 10,000 foot runway. Where could it land? Because they had to be on the ground. If that's the only way pepper spray or mace would only stay in one cabin is if they were not pressurized. And if you're above 10,000 feet, you have to be pressurized. And they pressurize much sooner than that once you uh, lift off the ground. So I realized that uh, when she said, we're up in the air, we're up in the air, that she was trying to convince us they were up in the air because that's not something we would say. There was another thing that she didn't do was she didn't, she wasn't specific to say how many hijackers. She referred to one person as a he, but she never said there were five or four or six hijackers. She just referred to one person as a he. The other flight attendant that, uh, by the way, that called into her supervisor said in her initial call that the hijacker was in 9B. And 9B was a Sayeret Met call, Israeli Defense Forces Special Operations hijack rescue specialist, anti-hijacker, fluent in English, he'd grown up in Denver, uh, fluent in Hebrew, and fluent in Arabic. Mm -hmm. And so I got to look, and I got really deep into the whole Sayeret Matkal special operations. This guy, he could kill anybody with a pen or a credit card. And I saw that on uh, Jack Bauer's 24. Remember that show? Yeah, <laughs> sure. Somebody, uh, uh, somebody actually did do the the pen and credit card death assassination. He was a highly trained assassin, but we were led to believe he was killed by a plastic box cutter. And so I go, wait a minute, none of this makes any sense. Then I really just start, I got red pilled here. Um, I realized then that she could only go so far in 18 minutes. So I did, I just opened up a map and I just look, I know how far you can get. And I found a, uh, you can do this too. <laughs> You can go to Google Earth. Um, there's a, a reserve Air Force Base called Westover Air Force Base. Mm -hmm. Now, I was contacted after the Coast to Coast AM, the first one I did. I've done a couple interviews with them. By someone who was based there, and it was a reserve base. It was a logistics base. So they would move like Galaxy 5, the big 747 plus size aircraft, and they had huge hangars there. And they would uh, had some, you know, a cargo transport kind of planes. And so they would go set up, you know, mash hospitals and stuff wherever. So that's what they did there. But it was a reserve base. It had been evacuated. And when the reservists that were based there were actually activated 
um, around 10 o'clock that, that morning, when they reported to the base, Westover Air Force Base, they were denied entrance and told they'd had to stay in hotels. They were put up in motels and hotels right in the area. And it's in Chicopee, Massachusetts, by Springfield, Massachusetts, in that area. And it takes about 18 minutes to fly there. I've gone on uh, Flight Radar 24 a thousand times and flown this route because I have their flight plans mm. also. So there you go. They had actually landed. Well, then I saw that and I said, okay, well, now the next flight was United 175 and they were on a more southerly flight plan. So it took them a little bit longer. And then I found a person that contacted me that had actually seen United 175 flying below the radar en route to circling around uh, to land at Westover. And then I was contacted by an FBI retired person who was there and saw the planes landing when she was walking her dogs. Wow. And so then, uh, you know, anyway, then what happens is, and I teach the reader how to do this. There's a, actually a, a website called um, Airplane Manager. And you can pull up a flight calculator. So if you want to go, like you're going to go to San Francisco from where you are, uh, you can see how long is it going to take. You can pull down the type of jet, a heavy jet. This would, these would be he considered heavies or a light jet if it's small, 737. So anyway, you can figure this, this whole thing out, right? So then what I did was I realized, okay, well, that makes sense then uh, for those two flights. Let's see how long it takes to go from Newark uh, to Westover. And then from Dulles in Washington, D.C. to Westover. And that day is the day I lost it. That's the day my stomach flipped. I went, oh, no, this cannot be true. This cannot. And I just literally, I walked away. I told my husband, ah, there's no way. There's, I can't believe what I found. I got, like, freaking out. I was like, oh, no. I was so, I, I was sick to my stomach, okay? Because I realized then through Flight Radar 24, um, or excuse me, through um, the uh, airplane manager flight calculator, I realized that the minute the phone call started, they'd landed. And they were plenty of big hangars. The hangars there are big enough for a Galaxy C5 transport. They're huge. They probably could have brought two airplanes into one, but there's six hangars there. You can see them on, from Google Earth. Because I flew in on Google Earth, and I was like, oh, my God. And exactly the minute... Uh, they wow. were, they were, uh, the phone calls were made. They were, they had taxied into probably right into the hangars. Wow. And so that's when I realized and some people came forward and started helping me that actually flew those aircraft for a living, uh, that the pilots were also involved. So there you go. So take a good deep breath, because like I said, the truth of what really happened on 9-11 is much, much more horrific than what you were told. And you were told that over and over again for a reason. You were being brainwashed. You'll so see it now. You see it now, yeah. And, and I want to get I want to get to your Trump, Trump comment, but what you're saying is that these planes all landed safely and... No planes, neither of those planes actually hit the towers? Is that correct? Uh, that was correct. What uh, hit the towers is something different. And like I said, I have a video uh, on my website there, and behind the galley curtain one, um, that 
There is no plane, and it's the explosion. And it's also viewed by about oh, maybe 12 or 15, I'd say young 20-somethings, maybe young college kids or something. They're from the rooftop of a nearby building. And when the explosion hit the South Tower, they were busy. I mean, they were watching. They were saw right there. But nobody mentions the fact that, geez, did you see that 767 go right through right. that building? Nope, nope, nope. They, they were blown away by the amount of people jumping from the North Tower. Oh, there's another one. Oh, there's another. They didn't even... They they saw the explosions like, wow, that building was bombed. Did you see that? It just blew up. They didn't see a plane. They didn't hear a plane. There was no plane because those planes had all landed. And that's the only way they could all make phone calls. Because here's another thing. Sure. Now, and I'll yep. bring this up. Uh, Barbara Olson. Now, she was a C, uh, CNN correspondent kind of person. She was kind of married to Ted uh, Olson, who was the solicitor general for W. Bush. Uh-huh. So she supposedly called in twice, three times, four times, and then here's the story. She called in collect from a cell phone. You can't do that, never could. She called collect from an air phone, couldn't do that either. In order to activate an air phone, you had to zip your, I don't know if you ever saw these, but you had yeah. to zip your credit card in. They were like $7 an hour or a minute. Yeah. They were very expensive. Um, so you couldn't call collect from that either. And so there was a first, their first mistake, but here's the next one. And I've been contacted by lots of people from American Airlines. January 2001, American Airlines had deactivated all of their air, onboard air phones nine months earlier. Interesting. So that means Barbara had to call from her cell phone. But Ted and Barbara couldn't get that. They, they just could not get the story straight. And Ted's um, secretaries, they couldn't get their story straight either. And so the, it was Ted's birthday. I mean, the whole thing was just nonsense. But Barbara Olson is the only reason that we know they had plastic box cutters. That's mm. the only way we knew that. So that was kind of her... her uh, <laughs> I guess, her role. Uh, but it, it's an interesting thing, too, because I found there's so many connections to this. There's so many connections to this. 9B, he had a company. Uh, let's see, it was called, I always get this mixed up with the, uh, the uh, Blackwater company. Uh, his, his company was called like Academi or something like this. Um, Akamai, Akamai, he's the Akamai. The other guy's Akademi. Akamai, uh, he was an MIT guy. And he started this software company all about um, trying to get, uh, when you get lots of heavy traffic on the internet, and this was, you know, when it was back then. He had just tried to sell it to CNN because when we get a big event, you're going to need this, right? <laughs> How would he know that, I wonder? So this is the Sayeret Met Call Special Operations uh, Anti-Hijacking Highly Trained Assassin guy. Right. Well, he used this law firm that's connected to just about everybody. Uh, he's connect, uh, his company used the law firm that uh, Barbara Olson was involved in. Barbara Olson went to Yeshiva, uh, Yeshiva University's law school. And so did the captain of Flight 77. That would be the one that supposedly went into the Pentagon. His sister, Deborah Burlingame, went to Yeshiva University, Ben Cardoza Law School as well. And there's all kinds of connections like that to um, Wilmer Cutler and Pickering, Robert Mueller, 
He was the head of the FBI at that time. And what was the FBI doing? The FBI did everything they could to cover up this, uh, the truth of this event. And now that we know people like Peter Strzok and Lisa Page and Robert Mueller, <laughs> these are the players, Andrew McCabe, now that we know that these people can be really, really twisted to one it doesn't matter if they're Republicans or Democrats. I don't care. But they happen to have been anti-President Trump. Now, whether they were anti-Republican or just anti-Make America Great, anti-globalist, uh, anti <laughs> maybe I could say that. Because one thing Donald Trump is not, he's not a globalist. He's here to make this country great like it was after World War II. Mm. Okay. That's uh, he wants to bring that manufacturing back that we lost through NAFTA and all those things. I yeah. looked through them all. So I mean, I'm not a spring chicken here. So if you understand the end game here, then it makes it all very simple because you're going to keep watching the ongoing coup. I'm just questioning now. Quite frankly, this is off subject here, but I'm personally questioning if COVID-19 is part of the coup. Good for you. Because it seems like Dr. Fauci is in, I shouldn't say, I use the terminology, in bed with, but best friends with. I know there's email that's come out through WikiLeaks uh, uh, that he loves Hillary Clinton. And so when you start to see all these players and they're still playing the game, and by the way, the same players involved in 9-11, uh, Jim Clapper, John Brennan, uh, and the list goes on and on, uh, they're, still in, they're now involved in the coup. So... It, it, they, all of these people are all still doing the same kind of stuff. And so the FBI, basically, they're the janitors. They clean up the mess that the <laughs> intelligence people do. And now remember, if you're old enough to remember the Watergate scandal. Nixon. I, I, yeah, with Nixon. And I, uh, that was CIA guys. And so if you go back and you understand what was going on, uh, with the John F. Kennedy assassination, too. And there, there's a lot of truth has come out now, including a lot of the stuff that uh, President Trump was instrumental in releasing a lot of the yeah. classified information. There's a lot of stuff in there. So I've read a lot of that, too. And again, same type of players, same kind of story. The, it's, a, it, it's something that they do. It's a pattern. And I, I'm a puzzle person. That's why I use puzzles. Scientists, <laughs> yeah. For my... I, I, I like puzzles. I like to see things and I see patterns a lot. And so I, I'm able to like see, oh my gosh, they just did this. As a matter of fact, if you go back, I'll give you, I hope you're taking notes. <laughs> You'll want to listen to this again. If you go back and you uh, look up to um, Smedley Butler, sure. 1933, sure. this same type of coup that we're living through right now uh, was tried then by the Wall Street crowd, the elite Wall Street crowd. Now, these are the same people that controlled and um, really Alan Dulles, who was the CIA, head of the CIA, and he got fired by John Kennedy. Right. He got fired, but he didn't go away. It didn't close all his relationships up with everybody else that was still at the CIA. So that's kind of the case what you see now. And one of the things I just recently learned is that um, there was a guy named... Um, Tommy G. Corcoran, Tommy the Cork, he was called, from uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And before Pearl Harbor, and now, you know, they called this the new Pearl Harbor, 9-11, right? Right. But before Pearl Harbor, and this takes you right back to where I'm going with this, before the first Pearl Harbor, 
Tommy Corcoran had set up uh, a CIA kind of airline, well, a covert operation, let's just say that. And they used this uh, Chinese company. They were supporting the Chinese against the Japanese. And so they set up a civil air transport. A CIA ended up buying that, that uh, airline, and it was transporting stuff around uh, Asia. They, then they formed a company that ended up being called, that started out being called like the American Volunteer Force or something, but it ended up being called Flying Tigers. You might know of that company. And that was the CIA. And they were covertly bombing the Japanese before huh. Pearl Harbor. I just learned that. Interesting. You haven't heard that. I learned, I learned that because recently... This all connects to what's going on right now. Recently in June, we had a, um, a crazy story come out that the Russians were paying uh, the Taliban uh, a bounty for American soldiers they could kill. I have a couple good friends that are Afghanis. I'm telling you right now, we the Russians didn't need to pay anybody from Afghanistan to do that. And we've been over there messing with them since before 9-11. And so what we've done is all wrapped up in the opium and all that stuff. But uh, <laughs> it's all it all connects. It all connects. So this Tommy Corcoran starts this covert thing. But what's interesting is that we're just finding out today and yesterday that John Brennan was doing the same kind of covert secret thing to spy. This is the CIA to spy on the Trump campaign from early on before Crossfire Hurricane and all of that. And so this is common. This has been going on. So we were actually bombing covertly using Flying Tigers and the uh, Civil Air Transport Company, which the CIA finally bought. And then eventually, I think it kind of turned into Air America during the Vietnam War. So CIA has been running arms and drugs and all of that kind of stuff forever. Yeah. And we don't, people don't know that. I know I flew uh, CIA pilots over to Asia. You know, I, I started flying at the end of the Vietnam War. So I had a few years of the Vietnam War uh, flying people in and out. And so I know, I bet at the time I didn't know what the CIA was all about. And I think most Americans don't. And I think that's, if you really understood what the CIA has done in all these other countries, Iran in the early 1950s, uh, all through Central America, all through Vietnam, all of that. And then it's all wrapped up into, you know, John Kennedy's assassination because he yeah. didn't want to get involved in the Vietnam War. And what are we seeing now with President Trump? I'll bring it right home to you. Yep. We're seeing him pulling troops out of Iraq. Why are we even in Iraq? There were no Iraqis involved in 9-11. There were no Afghanis involved in 9-11. As a matter of fact, that one country that was really involved... <laughs> Nothing's ever happened to. Yeah, and I think I, I think we I think we know what you're what you're alluding to there. Uh, you've done some incredible research, obviously, and you've only showed you've only shared a, a smidgen. Um, what what's what what found what what found interest with me is uh, I started the program uh, when Zika uh, came to Miami, and and of course Zika's. You know, almost four years later now, it's it's just a, another coronavirus. So you made your comment about questioning uh COVID-19 I, I I think I, I applaud you for that uh, Dr. Anthony Sutton uh, are you familiar with uh, that name yes 
Okay. Yeah. So he's he's someone that I uh, that I began researching very early on, uh, as he had given a speech in Miami Beach in 1972 that exposed uh, the Wall Street funding of the buildup of the Soviet Union. And he's written a number of books uh, that mm-hmm. um, that Trine Day uh, has has picked up and and republished and published and um, and 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 what he gets into. Uh, really is exactly what uh, Americans need to be questioning, and in, in, in my view, uh, Rebecca is you know what are what are the economic uh, implications to to some of these things? What you've done is you've completely uh, cracked open the fraud behind nine mm-hmm. eleven with your research, and uh, and you know you you you. You 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 had asked about Operation Northwoods and 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 you know for me personally that wasn't something that I even came across until you know, 16, 17 years after nine eleven. Uh, I was completely brainwashed in that sense to to reuse uh, a, a word that you've uh, that you've you you've used and and I think the majority of Americans don't even attempt to suggest that perhaps. Uh, our country has been infiltrated and invaded from within. Uh, you're talking about a coup, um, and so one of the one of the things that has interested me is that I think it was in the early 1970s that David Rockefeller, um, then head of I think he was head of um, well, he was head of a bank uh, in New York in Manhattan, and he I, I believe he initiated with the Port Authority the construction of those those trade towers. Um, but if, if following again, following the money, and I always I always urge my my listeners to follow the money trail. Um, following the money trail, you've got the breakup of Standard Oil in uh, in 1912, and then the, the the year after that, you've got the formation of the Federal Reserve and the passing of that act under Woodrow Wilson, which which he later lamented. What what's interesting here. Um, Rebecca, and I want you to, to deliver some closing comments, and 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 you've obviously written some some impressive books. Um, what's interesting here is this, and I'll and I'll and I'll find this. Uh, see if I can find this quote uh, by uh, Thomas Jefferson. Um, which so last week, uh, last week the the program hosted. Um, uh, uh, Tom Hartman and, and Tom's got a three-hour daily show that he that's nationally syndicated and and he's written um, uh, he's written a series of, of books. Uh, the most recent book is the Hidden History of Monopolies: How Big Business Destroyed the American Dream. But we're uh, talking about you know talking about the monopolistic approach to controlling money and and my personal my personal uh, urgency, if you will, for listeners is to. Is to again follow that money trail, follow that implication of of COVID nineteen and how 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 that could possibly be used if it is or could be used to control uh, economies globally. So, but this is nothing new for Americans. Americans have been fighting this since the inception. So here, uh, December twentieth, seventeen eighty seven. Uh, Jefferson replies to Jane Madison and says, and this is, again, this is out of Tom uh, Hartman's latest book, I will now tell you what I do not like. This is about the drafting of the of the uh, Constitution. First, the omission of a Bill of Rights, providing clearly and without the aid of Sophism for freedom of religion, freedom of the press, protection against standing armies, restriction of monopolies. Again, I'll repeat that. Restriction of monopolies. The eternal and remitting force of the habeas corpus laws and trials by jury in all matters of fact, tribal by the laws of land and not by the laws of nations. So you you have 
without mentioning that name, and I'll let you mention if you like, of that country that's staying neutral. And of course, Switzerland's another country that stays neutral in, in all wars, and that's uh, you know the IMF, and we've got CERN in Switzerland, and they also protect uh, they protect the Vatican. Uh, so you know what 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 role does the Switzerland with the Swiss banks the Swiss banks play in 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 all of this? But again. For to dissect kind of the economic ramifications or implications behind some of these things, let's 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 say that 9/11, you've basically uncovered that that could be used and was used as a false flag uh, for 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 mega wealthy and rich uh, uh, interests uh, to cash in, right? Like Shorenstein. Um, but do we have a problem? with our banking system in a are they monopolizing are they manipulating uh you know the the way we 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 live our life that's that's uh, yeah that's a kind of the message uh and you and i are certainly on the same page in that regards i think um that's certainly the message that i that i portray for for listeners but I, but i'd like to get your I'd like to get your closing comments. And again, Rebecca, I I, I, <laughs> I completely agree with you. I I tend to be independent in my political thinking and not and not uh, not take sides. I think both parties are corrupt. But I want to get your closing comments on Trump, on Donald Trump. And I, and I'll say this before I before before I, before you speak. In Miami, uh, I would I would go to some of these early uh, rallies before he had even declared his his candidacy. They they were given at Doral, and he. He he gave his speeches, and he ca- he came from a neutral political standpoint of being an independent, um, and that's one of the things that I liked about him. And then as I saw him gain momentum, he sided with the Republican Party, and my understanding is that he's at times voted Democrat in his in his past. But again, I want to get Rebecca. I, I, I want to get your your closing comments comments here. You can address COVID, but uh, certainly address the the current coup d'état. That, that you see an, an unroll, uh, unraveling and uh, and your comments on, on Donald Trump's presidency. Well, besides uh, follow the money, there's always this too. Who benefits? Who's benefited from the 20 years of war in Af- with Afghanistan and, and Iraq who had nothing to do with 9-11? And nobody's ever questioned that. Nobody's ever questioned that. These were supposedly 15 Saudis, couple guys from UAE. Now UAE's uh, in bed with Israel. <laughs> Imagine that. Um, so it, all wars are bankers' wars. Smedley Butler told us that. And that's uh, it, they all wars are bankers' wars. Before 9-11, the Project for New American Century, PNAC, Bill Crystal, uh, Kagan's, uh, Dan Quayle, I mean, you'll, uh, Jeb Bush, uh, John uh, Ellis Bush, who is his real name, Jeb Bush is a signer. They uh, already had planned out to take out Saddam Hussein uh, and the seven wars that came after 9-11 as a result, because all wars are bankers' wars, and the CIA is the covert army, Navy, uh, Marines, and Air Force, of the uh, the CIA for Wall Street, and it's always been that way since Smedley Butler, and that's almost been, it's 90 years ago, they tried a coup then. They tried a military coup. They were going to have a, uh, 
thousand or five hundred thousand World War One veterans take over the park in Washington D.C. and demand this money and make all these demands, and they were going to use the military to remove the sitting president, and they're trying to do that again. But if you pay attention, in the last week or so. Joe Biden's had maybe 37 people show up at his events. Right, right. Donald Trump has 30,000, 35,000, 15,000, and they're in these hangars. And so there's all this overflow. And so what they want to do, I look at everything now as the building seven, the one thing we're not supposed to look at. All wars are bankers wars, one of those things, right? Because we're not supposed to look at that. Remember what happened with Building 7? It came down just like a controlled demolition. And Larry yes. Silverstein said, well, I, this is one of the things I, I talked to the firemen about. Because I, I, from a family of firefighters, I'm like, I got a question for you. Larry Silverstein, that day, and he went on TV afterwards and he said, well, there's been so much loss of life. I just told the fire department, just pull it, just pull it. Well, we don't do that. We put fires out. We don't pull buildings because I actually worked for someone who uh, did had a demolition company that it takes a while to put those, uh, get everything set up, right? So, and there's several things you ha they had to do. And they did those things at the World Trade Center towers. They took down the electricity. They took the bomb sniffing dogs out. It's all there. It's all there. And so, and I mean, it was, they set it up, they did it. And I've even been contacted by someone in Florida, actually, who knows somebody who was the person who was the uh, physicist who figured out how to set the explosives in wow. those towers. Now, I don't know why he contacted me, but his brother-in-law was supposed to be part of the explosive setting team. He is Mossad. Israeli Mossad. Israeli Mossad is their intelligence, their form of the CIA, basically. So this was a joint operation. It was multifaceted. The uh, person that was the military liaison between Area 51 and Edwards Air Force Base in California, um, he was full of information. And one of the things that he had seen was a Russian Antonov 225. This is the big one. You've probably seen it that was flying in through restricted airspace, Edwards Air Force Base and China Lake, uh, which is just north of it, by in Mojave, California. Uh, Mojave Airport, Air and Spaceports, where uh, SpaceX is and yeah. lots of uh, ATK rocketry and lots of stuff like that. And it's also a boneyard for old airplanes. But uh, around Edwards Air Force Base, there's a lot of restricted airspace. And so when this guy would come to work, he would meet with his uh, intelligence handlers, military and others. Uh, and they would tell him, well, tonight we've got um, an Antonov coming in and parking over at Mojave. And they're going to come through restricted airspace. Well, that uh, aircraft came in several times. And it um, was full of gold. <laughs> And so this was months before 9-11. So they, you know, hindsight's always 20-20. After he read my books, he was like, oh, my God. And so that's why the third book I wrote uh, includes kind of some of his stories. Uh, and it's gold. And it's a puzzle that's gold uh, and, and a light shining through. So there was a lot of stuff that was done in advance of 9-11. Like the vaults were empty when um, Kurt uh, Sonnenfeld 
from the FEMA photographer. Right. I went there, and you know, after that, they set him up with a fake murder of his de- of his wife and all kinds of stuff, and he's now in Argentina on the run from the U.S. government because he knew too much. He took pictures. Now, the vaults were emptied, not completely, but they did find one uh, truck that was broken down under the rubble that was full of gold that hadn't gotten out yet. So there was all kinds of stuff like that. There was uh, also a 757 that was housed at Mojave that um, would leave every Saturday night for several weeks leading up to 9-11 with what it looked like to the people who worked there as a busload of flight attendants. Imagine that. So they uh, were kind of planning this out, and that would probably be why Betty Ong said, we're the first, because these people knew what the scenario was. And that goes on with the the, uh, two guys that called in from Flight United 175. They also knew in advance the whole story of the day. Uh, Brian Sweeney, who was a military uh, Miramar, this is Top Gun, the movie, Miramar uh, trained uh, pilot, and he flew the Tom uh, Tomcat, I guess it is. He's a, uh, he was a RIO, which is a, a radar uh, officer in the back seat. And there's a pilot up front, and he's in the back. So, but he'd gone through uh, Top Gun training at Miramar and stuff. And so he is uh, supposedly now. This is why we know they weren't there because he would know this. Because I have all all the radar and text to tell you where the government would like you to believe those planes were in order to hit <laughs> hit the towers at the designated time. Right. Well, he would have been about five thousand foot elevation. Now, ten thousand feet is when we ask you to take your electronic devices and turn them off and stow them, right? So you know how close you are to the ground. Well, about five to 7,000 feet, I say that because the FAA has both altitudes, hopefully. <laughs> they don't always do that because somebody's going to get hurt. Uh, but this is 9-11, so it's different. They're, everything's mixed up. Never, nothing's the way it's supposed to be because it's a hoax because they're lying about this. But he says, well, he tells his mom, he th- I think we're over Ohio. He's looking, he's over the Hudson River, huh. right there at, this, at the uh, Statue of Liberty, maybe kind of right to the um, west of the Statue of Liberty, looking over at the Newark International Airport, which, by the way, the tower is only four miles from the Twin Towers. So uh, they would have seen something if it would have hit, I guess, would have flown in there, wouldn't they? But they didn't either. And I have a lot of this stuff in Freedom of Information Act transcripts from the from the air traffic controllers working at uh, New York and Kennedy and LaGuardia and Newark. So it's interesting, though, uh, all of the stuff that I did find digging through all this stuff. So um, sidetracked myself there, but it's so complicated and it's just so amazing. And like I said, when I wrote my first book, I thought I, I thought they'd kill me then. Um, it has been a, a life changer for me, but it's allowed me to look at things that are going on every day and read things back. I go back and read all kinds of uh, articles from 9-11 even, and I realize now that almost every uh, journalist right now, for, ex- for example, hates Donald Trump because he's not a globalist, basically. It doesn't matter if you're a <laughs> R or a D, it's you're a globalist or not, and if you're not, because this is global communism we're looking at right. uh, the new right. world order it's totally global communism and total control now that's where the covid comes in because now we're starting to see now even though i believe because uh, i did study some biochemistry um 
uh, I believe now that uh, this virus, much like Zika and, and other viruses, influenza, for example, uh, that this virus is weakening because as viruses come and go, they morph and change and they weaken. And so, and then all at the same time, we get what's called herd immunity, but we get a an immunity to it. So it, as if I catch it now, I'll probably just, you know, I got a cold, um, but no big deal, right? But what they're using it for globally now, this is not just the United States, not just President Trump, it's globally. It's not just the Democrats in California or <laughs> somebody else handling it differently. It's it's global. You'll see this is in Australia, they're arresting people for even right. doing a post on Facebook yeah. Yeah. or you know telling people, don't go to this, you know, don't go there, don't get involved. And yeah, you can't say anything anymore. So you have no freedom of speech, the can, uh, cancel culture, uh, and I, I got hit with this after my second book, the black one. It's called Methodical Deception. And I got uh, people were coming at me, calling me an anti-Semite. And I'm like, okay, well, let me tell you this. When I first got into looking at this, and I, this was early on before I'd probably figured out where they landed, I was listening to, I think, a Han Sean Hannity show, and I was going to probably cooking or something, uh, multitasking as I do. And somebody was talking about Building 7. Building 7 was mentioned. And another person in, on his show accused him of being an anti-Semite for talking about Building 7. Interesting. And I'm like, how do you get a Jewish and a demolition or a building falling down for whatever reason they fell down? How does that work? And that just, it just led me there. So I see things now as like, okay, that's a Building 7. You're not supposed to look there. And you're not supposed to look to see who's uh, taken total control. And now they've just canceled ha uh, Halloween in Los Angeles. And you're going to see, what? I guess, maybe, yeah, it's canceled. Can't do it. And that's two months from now, wow. basically. And so uh, by, well, that's also four days before the election. So, but here's another reason why they would do that. Because I think it was, I don't know, can't remember the number, two billion or some crazy number. A, a dollars we spend as Americans on Halloween costumes for our pets. Sure. <laughs> There's a huge economic uh, game going here because if you can't go trick or treating, if you can't see anybody, if you can't go door to door and you show your dog or your cat or whatever, huh. your kids off. Then there's what a billion, six billion, ten billion that's not going to go into the economy as it normally would. So yeah, cancel it. I'm waiting to see if they cancel Hanukkah and Christmas. But huh. <laughs> I was like, okay, this just happened today. So uh, it's 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 just crazy. But all wars are bankers' wars, and the project for a new American uh, American century was all signed by these globalists, and they're all Trump haters now. Bill Crystal comes to mind, and. Um, there's a bunch of them. You'll recognize them all. And so to me, I don't look at it. it, it there's one uniparty, and that is the global communist. If you go back and read the uh, Devil's Chessboard, uh, I think his first name is David Talbot is the last name. It, it's the story of Alan Dulles. And uh -huh. his uh, brother was the uh, secretary of state. So when you see now people that are involved in the State Department, you might as well read CIA. You might as well read SPY. <laughs> you might as well. Now, here's another interesting thing. Uh, on my website, I have a bunch of these. I found these books on PDF forms. So I thought, you guys want to know what's going on? There's a book called Compromised by a guy named Terry Reed. He was what's called a contractor for the CIA. He wasn't an employee. He didn't have a CIA right. employee number. 
Yeah. Right. He's a contractor. And this is what the CIA does. It gives them plausible deniability. We weren't. That wasn't our guy. And so nobody can go back and find the, the life insurance. Like if you're an airline employee, you have an employee uh, identification. This is another thing I saw. When Betty Young called reservations, she just said her name. But if if any airline person calls reservations because we're airline <laughs> and we're part of the family, we give an employee number. So I would say, hi, this is uh, Rebecca Roth, and my number is 867529. Yeah. That would tell the reservations person that I'm an employee. So if I want to get an employee discount uh, on a flight, then that's what I have to have. And so you wouldn't call crew scheduling, reservations, or anybody else, and she never gave that number, which told me this was something else. See, there was a lot of inside the airline stuff that uh, I still see. Yeah. I mean, it took me a while to realize that, wait a minute, she's in her jump seat and hijacking? Nah. Right. Yeah. And then I have, to, I have to question this. And I don't know the answer to this, but I had to question, was she in on this? Or did she say these things in hopes that someday a flight attendant would hear what she's saying and see the, the fault, the flaws in it? I don't know. I don't have the answer. I wish I did. But I do know that some of those people are alive. Yeah, on the on the planes, know. yeah. Uh, wow, Rebecca, uh, what a incredible uh, what an incredible delivery you've made here uh, on the program, and uh, I uh, I thank you for for joining discussions of truth. I'll be in contact with you, and we'll gladly go through uh, what you've what you've come out with the other the other publications. Uh, and uh, I look forward to inviting you back on the program. We've we've, we've got uh, simply just unparalleled and un unprecedented times. Uh, and what's interesting is that uh, uh, I just hosted uh, a fellow named Anthony Mueller, who's who's German, but he's uh, teaching uh, uh, economics down in Brazil, and and he said exactly the same thing you just said, Rebecca. He says this is this is a, a, an agenda to implement. Mm. Uh, a, a social and communistic economic control globally. That's exactly what, what what's happening. It's, he, he just said the same thing, uh, Rebecca. He just said the same thing. Yeah, so it's yeah. important that we vote in. It's important that we vote in person now because they're going to try to steal the election through mail fraud. Right. So it's important that everybody that can vote in person does that. I think. I well mean, said. I, just, I don't know how they're going to do this. This is not something. This is not something new. There's nothing new under the sun. This is a repeat. It's just like Smedley Butler was involved with this 90 years ago, and so it is what it is. And listen, there are now there are four books. They're all methodical. And the reason I'll tell you why I use that, and this is why flight attendants know better, uh, is that we had a code word for being hijacked. And if I were being hijacked with a hijacker next to me, I'd pick up the phone to uh, interphone tell the cockpit and uh, uh, doctor or uh, captain trotter sir very formal this is mrs rebecca roth and i'm being methodical interesting so all my all my books are called methodical illusion methodical deception methodical conclusion and methodical exposure and the next one is all about the agenda and yes indeed it is it's a global agenda well, attendant Roth, uh, <laughs> thank you for your meticulous, methodical uh, 
uh, management <laughs> and research. And also, I have autographed books. If people want to go find those, you can find a, a link from readroth.com. That's a good place to go. They're also on uh, Amazon, hardcover, softcover, or Kindle. And I have them autographed in hardcover or softcover as well. And you can order them from any bookstore. And I hope to have this fifth book out in the next couple months. Wonderful. So uh, absolutely if wonderful. Want, if you want to send me your address, I'll send you these first four. Uh, Will do. Complimentary. And just just uh, email me or, yeah, you have my email. So there you go. Happy to do it. Ladies and gentlemen, Rebecca Ross, uh, buy her books, uh, follow her. And um, Rebecca, I thank you for doing what you do. Uh, KTYSmedia.square.site uh, is, uh, is one of the sites I'm looking at. And then readroth.com is uh, where you can go to find more of Rebecca's work. Right. Rebecca, thank you. Until next time, uh, thank you very much. Keep up the great work. All right. Thank, thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, so sorry. <laughs> pardon that pause there. Um, something going on there with the uh, with the device. Uh, that was probably a what thirty second pause. Anyway, so um, Rebecca Roth, readroth.com. Look, I, I, she she took an extra forty minutes with us, folks. Um, and as you can see, you can sense the urgency and the passion. That's coming from this uh, this former airline uh, worker. Uh, Thirty years she spent in that industry, and just so many, so many uh, red flags popping up on her radar. Um, and and that is what I urge you to do. Uh, compromised Clinton Bush and the CIA by John Cummings is the uh, the book that she she spoke about there towards the end that was published in 1994 and I like how she addressed Smedley Butler uh, yeah, this is this has been happening for decades folks and and, and you you think about uh, you think about the the, the, the communist movement uh, through Hollywood through DC uh, these accusations historically it's coming to a head here. It's coming to a head. If you're still wearing a mask, I, I'm, <laughs> uh, you know, wear your mask, enjoy your enjoy your mask. But 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 stand up for other people's right not to wear a mask. And if you feel like you are being compromised by being around people that are wearing masks or not wearing masks, then stay six feet apart. Stay sixty feet apart. Okay, you, you have that right to not be close to them. Don't infringe on other people's rights to voluntarily wear a mask. Uh, we'll see how this vaccine's handled. But um, here we are in 2020, and when I set out, I was, I, was, I was invited to begin this program, to start this program, 
by Kitty, uh, who was uh, who was uh, she was helping manage Winwood Radio in those days, and um, uh, and and I'm no longer affiliated with Winwood Radio. I I I am now uh, affiliated with Winwood One, uh, with Winwood One. Um, but uh, you know, I, 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 I nor did I see, did I ever see. Uh, did I ever see this happening uh, four years after I started looking into the Zika debacle? But here we are. Okay. Uh, I'm Ian Trache. This is Discuss the Truth, and I appreciate you listening, and I urge you to please send this to friends and family and loved ones. And if you do nothing else... Question authority. Just just question authority while you can. And until next week, folks, with uh, J.P. Lindstroth, be awesome. <laughs>